uh, when I was in seminary, uh, I had a friend uh, by the name of Ken, Ken Tibberts. And Ken uh, was, and he still is, a missionary with uh, Ethnos 360. Uh, but he was, uh, at home, he was called a, um, a missionary in residence at Calvary University. He was taking seminary for, for about a year. And uh, Ken and I were in a class called Expository Preaching together. So we were, we were learning how to preach. And because that's what we were doing at times, um, Professor Dodds uh, assigned to us, we had to write personal illustrations at a time, and then we would, and over, would relate to a given passage. Then we'd come to class and we'd share those illustrations and talk about what worked and what didn't. But Ken, because he was a, he was a front-line missionary, he spent his time, or he had been spending his time trying to reach completely unreached people groups in the Amazon River Basin. Like, when I mean unreached, I mean unreached by the outside world, period. Uh, Well, his personal illustrations were slightly different than the rest of ours. Like, I would share a story about playing basketball or something, and he would share a story like this. Ken said there was a time where he and one friend of his set out on this journey down a stretch of the Amazon River neither of them had ever seen before, just two men in a canoe to make some contact with this people group that was days of floating down the river. They had received um, reliable information from, from native people that the most dangerous part of that journey would be, I think it was on the fourth day floating down the river, they were supposed to reach a, a, a place where the Amazon basically fell over a waterfall. And they would have to be on the alert. They'd have to be at the side. They'd have to, of course, dock their canoe and carry it down the steep bank until they could get back in and continue. What Ken didn't know was about a day into their journey, the section of river they got to was fed by an outlying area that drained into the Amazon. And some of those outlying areas had received just monumental torrential rainfall that had swelled the river to far, far more than its usual size. They had never seen the river there. They had no idea that there was that much more water, and therefore their canoe was traveling much faster than it would have been when the natives told them the waterfall would meet them on their fourth day. In the afternoon of their third day, lazily floating down the Amazon River, uh, they were just kind of looking at the sky, talking uh, and hearing the wind in the trees. The wind got louder and louder and louder until they suddenly both realized the same instant they weren't hearing wind they were hearing the Amazon River rush over those falls. And they were in the middle of the river. They came around this bend. They could see the waterfall. They strained at the oars, paddling for the side of the river. They got very close to the bank, but the tip of the canoe hit a big rock, which spun the back of the canoe broadside to the river against another rock. 
and their canoe was pinned against two rocks near the edge of the river. They were close, they were close enough to the side they could get out. It was about this deep. Ken's about my size. Uh, and the two of them together tried to free their canoe broadside to the river with thousands of gallons of water rushing over, under, and around against this canoe. Using their paddles as levers, they tried everything they could think of to free their canoe, and they could not budge it. That canoe was their lifeline. They could not survive without it, and there was no way they could free it. They started doing the only thing they could think of to do. They just stood there in the Amazon River and prayed and begged God to somehow intervene and help them get their canoe unstuck. They said amen. It was still stuck. They went back trying to budge this thing when one of them noticed uh, an old native man wading in their direction from the center of the Amazon River. He got over to them. He said nothing. He smiled, and Ken said he walked over and with one hand did what those two much larger, much younger men could not do with all their might. He simply just moved their canoe from that rock, pushed it aside the furthest rock. They went and grabbed their canoe, hustled it over to the shore. They were overjoyed. They turned to thank the old man, and he was gone. He had vanished. They didn't see him arrive. They didn't see him leave. And for the rest of Ken will forever be convinced that God answered their prayer by sending an angel to do for those two humans what they were completely unable to do. Freed that canoe. And then Ken got done and said, now Matt's going to come tell us about one time he played basketball. Everybody's like... <laughs> well, if you knew that God was willing to do something for you on that level of miraculous, I don't know who that was. I'll side with Ken. But if God was willing... To do something for you that was that miraculous, what would you ask him to do? I want you to think of something and hang on to that for a little bit this morning. And what if I told you that no matter what any of us asked for, we could go around the room and share our stories. What if I told you God was, God is willing to either meet, answer, fulfill that request, or exceed it. What have I told you? If God's not willing to do that for you, it's only because he wants to do something that's better. And that is what I'm telling you. That's absolutely true. For those of us who will believe, who will submit to understanding, on my own before God I am lost, because of my sin, he took my sin on his body on the tree. He died the death I deserve under the, pen, the, the punishment that should be aimed at me, and he rose again to prove that was true. If you will believe that about Jesus, then I don't care what you just asked for in your mind. God will meet it, 
or beat it. Guaranteed. We've been walking through the book of Galatians this spring. We've come to chapter 3, and where we're at, we're going to kind of lose sight of the forest for a couple of trees today. Um, the forest, the, the bird's eye view of, of where we're at, Paul is contrasting the law with the promise, or the law with grace. Paul is, has been advocating for uh, the Galatians to hang on to justification, the idea that I can be righteous in God's eyes through a, just a gift of God's grace that he gives to all those who believe and to let go of the idea that my righteousness before God depends on my behavior. Now, we're going to let go of that bird's eye view because I got to three verses. Actually, four verses, but I couldn't even fit the fourth verse in this sermon. I got to, to three or four verses that say things that are so incredible and astounding that we just have to dive in and spend some time just with these They're so common. We say these things all the time. And sometimes I think we forget what we're actually talking about when we say some of these things. We're going to read. But where they come from in the argument is these are things that faith does that our behavioral righteousness cannot. These are amazing things that faith can do. That works cannot. They, God won't let you earn these things. He will only give them. They're not merit badges. They're gifts of his grace. Let's read Galatians chapter 3. We're just going to read three verses, verses 26 through 28. And they read, oh, where'd they go? Whoa, hey, uh, I did something wrong. Let's see if you can get my thing back up there and... Uh, now let me have it. There we go. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. Verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The next thing Paul's going to say that we'll look at next week, he's also going to say, then if you're sons, you're also heirs. But then he's going to talk about being an heir, so we'll, we'll save that for next week. That's all we want to talk about this morning. We start in verse 26 where Paul says, faith makes people children of God, sons of God. And again, that is something, we are all God's children. We kind of say stuff like that flippantly. But listen to what Paul's saying. Thus far in the book of Galatians, and overwhelmingly in the New Testament, if you read the phrase, Son of God, it is only referring to Jesus Christ, like the one and only Son of God. So that that Paul says that we get to be, he says, sons of God. And you can think about that sort of, sons or daughters, for this week at least. That's pretty astounding that people like us, 
sinful people that we are, when we know what we know about God, that he is holy, perfect, righteous, and has a fierce hatred of sin, that we can be sons, children of God, should still astound us at least a little bit as often as we've heard it. And I want you to notice, it only happens through faith. When Paul says that you are all sons of God, don't be misled into thinking that Paul is saying that all people on the face of the earth are sons of God or children of God, because they are not. There is only one way to become an adopted son or daughter, child of God, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. When Paul says all here, he's talking to all of the people in the very specific audience he wrote this letter to, which are the believing people in the churches of Galatia. So he's writing to people who all are sons of God through faith, but all people are not. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you trade off a status of being an enemy of God. You trade that in for being a a child of God. And part of what makes that such an effective metaphor is it's true of all children. Nobody becomes a child of someone else through merit, right? I don't know what, what your biological family was like, but you didn't deserve to be born into the family you were born into for good or for bad. If you had wonderful parents like I did, they're right here this morning. Uh, I would have still said that if they weren't here. Uh, I didn't deserve to be born with them as parents, right? Stayed together, loved me my whole life. I didn't deserve that. If you were born into a, a, an abusive household, a household full of addiction or neglect or whatever, you didn't deserve that either. You, you don't become someone's child because you deserve it. It just sort of happens. Even if you uh, were adopted, you didn't do anything to deserve to be adopted by your parents. Even if you were adorable in those little pictures, you didn't even make yourself adorable. We didn't deserve to be born into the families we were born into. We don't deserve to be reborn into God's family. It is a gift he gives to those who believe. And now Paul says something else here that we, I think we generally miss because of the word order of the Greek that gets preserved in some of our translations like the one I read a minute ago. Here's what I mean. See this little phrase, in Christ, that's toward the front of the sentence here? When we read a second ago, it was back here, which is the Greek word order. A minute ago I read, so uh, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And that makes us think, well, you get to be a son of God by believing in Christ Jesus, which is absolutely true. It's the only way to become a son of God. But... This little phrase, in Christ, doesn't modify or explain the faith. In Christ still modifies, you are, you are a son of God in Christ. Even though it's true that your faith must be in Christ to be a child of God. Here's what Paul 
is saying. When you believe upon Jesus Christ for your salvation, you become so closely related to Jesus Christ. You, it's like you are in Christ. He is in you, and you are in him, and you're so closely related to him that you become as much a son of God as he is. Like, that's what Paul is saying. You're placed in Christ, so you get the relationship with the Father. And I want to avoid heresy here, so I want to make sure you don't become part of the Trinity, right? That's not your future at any point. You're not God. Some of you need reminded that more than others, but I'll leave that alone. One time Jesus said, and his enemies really hated it, he said, I and, the, I and the Father are one. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Well, Paul says, through faith, you get placed in Christ. Like Christ is in you and you are in him. So much so that like what, what God said at, at when, when Jesus was baptized, uh, at the Mount of Transfiguration, when his voice boomed out, behold, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God can say that about you if you are in Christ. Because positionally, that's how close our faith makes us to him. In Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. Now, everything else we're going to read today is an explanation of being a son, being a child of God. So he said, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Next, verse 27, 4, because all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. This is part of an explanation of that close relationship that happens if you're in Christ. Here's why that's true. And when Paul brings up baptism here to the Galatians, he's reminding them of the ceremony they went through when they identified with Christ and became Christians. He's reminding them of their water baptism. Now, Paul never said that, um, that, that bab- somebody's not in Christ unless they are baptized. Baptism and faith do not share the same function. Faith redeems us, saves us. Baptism is an expression, a celebration of that. It's an outward expression of what's already happened inwardly. So baptism does not say, excuse me, does not save. But the idea of someone identifying with Christ, identifying as a Christian, and accepting the the gift of eternal life, accepting that position of being in Christ, someone doing that and not getting baptized is completely foreign in the New Testament. It's not there. Baptism is to accompany faith. And Jesus said that, not me. If I get to a point, and I did, where I understood, man, I am not righteous on my own. I am in real trouble before God on my own. I need redeemed. I need saved. I need rescued. 
And I understand, I accept that Jesus Christ is my Redeemer. And what he did on the cross is the price that was required for my redemption. I accept that, I believe that, and I, am, I become his son. I should want to be an obedient son. There should be a desire for that in me. And the first prescribed step of obedience is baptism. Baptism is, is how we publicly identify. You know, there's a lot of people who identify as a lot of things in this world right now, right? And a lot of us get pretty fired up when we hear about what people are identifying as these days, and understandably so. You should be identifying as a Christian. That should be your identity if you have accepted what he did for you, for your eternal life. That is how we should identify. Baptism is how you come out of the closet as a Christian. So I'm gonna, I want to issue this challenge again today, like I do periodically. Have you ever been baptized as a believer? I want to challenge you to prayerfully consider doing so. We can do it here. We can do it at the lake. I've done it in stock tanks, in pastures. Hi, Lisa. Uh, We had to find one that didn't have ice on it. I'll tell you that story a different time. That is how we are to identify. It's how Jesus said you identify as mine. So I want to give you that challenge. Reach out to me. Let's do it. But when Paul reminds the the Galatians of their baptism, he's reminding them of how they know they are in Christ. And he says, when you were baptized, you clothed yourselves with Christ. See, they had a little, something a little different in their ceremony that, that, that we don't do anymore. There was a wardrobe change in the first century when they did baptisms. They did baptisms and then they put on clean white garments. The baptism symbolized the death, burial. I died to myself and the resurrection. I'm a new person. And then they clothed themselves in something that represented clean whiteness. That's what a baptism is, is a public, I I identify with Jesus Christ. I am his, I am a Christian. It is a firm no to what my life was. And it is a firm yes to the one I identify with now. And then they would clothe themselves in white, you know, whiter than snow as a part of that. So Paul has just told them something incredibly astounding. You are all children of God. Why? Because you've been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why. A few weeks ago in Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. Same type of a deal. Paul was saying, it's not my life that shows to the Father anymore. It's Jesus Christ. That's why he can call me his beloved son. He can call you his beloved daughter. 
He doesn't have to see how you did today. You've been clothed with Christ. You ever swaddle your little ones? Right? You ever take the little blanket and you wrap them all up like the cutest little burrito you've ever seen, right? When you came to Christ, you were swaddled in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Right? A little sinful fajita filling that you are, just all covered up. If we really actually believe this, it would start to change our lives. You know that? If you really understood, if I really understood what my identity is, what it is I identify as His, and what I am clothed with, it would change me. Do you have clothes you don't wear for certain things? You don't. Like, you don't clean out the chicken coop if you have chickens in your best dress, right? I don't change the oil in my funeral suit. You don't mow the lawn in your best slacks, right? If you are clothed with Christ, it will begin to change some of the things about what you do, where you go, If you've identified with Christ, you've become God's son. Why? Because you've been clothed with Jesus Christ. And then, Paul writes this in verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. There is a verse that gets taken out of the context of this book, taken out of the greater context of Paul's writings all the time and used to say stuff Paul wasn't saying. Paul would never say there should not be any differences between Jews and non-Jews. How do I know that? We'll get there in just a couple of weeks in this book. Paul, Paul was always very aware when he took the gospel to different places, he would present the gospel different ways. Why? Because there were cultural differences between Jews and Greeks, between Gentiles who lived in this place and Gentiles who lived in that place. Paul, was, he would, Paul never said, never believed there's really no difference between people of different cultures. That's ridiculous. Travel someplace, you'll begin to notice differences. Same way Paul would never say there shouldn't be any difference between a slave or a servant, a bondservant, and the Lord of the manor. He would never say in our context there's no difference between the boss and the employees. Paul taught elsewhere, here's how you live as a Christian slave. And Paul never taught that there should not be any differences between boys and girls, between males and females. He taught really clearly there's different roles in, in families, in churches. So what's Paul mean? Well, Paul's, here's what Paul has said. Remember, he said, if you believe in Jesus through faith, you're in Christ. So you're God's child. You're clothed in Jesus Christ. And now he says this, 
Whoever is back there in Galatia when this letter is read out loud, I want you to know that the last two things I just said about you being uh, a child of God and clothed in Jesus Christ, that is true no matter who you are, no matter where you are from, no matter your social status, whether you are free, whether you're enslaved, whether you're male, whether you're female, the things that your, your financial situation, access to these miraculous things I just told you about is open equally to every kind of person. The things that stratify and divide the world do not divide us from God. There's one thing that does whether or not you will submit to believing the way he allows himself to be accessed. But it's the only thing that stops us from becoming a child of God. Another way to say this might be this. We might understand Paul saying, you're all children of God and God doesn't have favorite kids. Some of you were, were hurt growing up because you felt like your parents had favorite. Maybe that was true. They were the favorite because they were the only boy or the only girl. They were the favorite because of their talents, their successes, their achievements. Paul says God doesn't have favorites like that. Here's the thing. Again, if you're clothed in Jesus Christ, when God makes his assessment of you, it's based on Jesus's achievement on which you can't improve. Right? So God doesn't look around like our church or our community and think, well, you know, Pastor Matt, he writes and delivers sermons, so I love him this much. And somebody else, well, they just like helped set up for, for VBS. So I only like there, I only love them. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. God doesn't have favorite kids because all of his kids are clothed in Jesus Christ. Now, at the beginning of our time, I told you a story about a, a, a miracle. Um, experienced by one of my friends, and I asked you to think about what you would ask for if, if God were willing to do something equally miraculous for you. And we talked about these things. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are God's child. You are clothed in Christ. And it does not matter who you are, what you do, or anything else about you, whether or not that is, can be real for you. Now, that stuff, even though it's such common stuff to talk about in church, we talk about this stuff every Sunday. Don't lose the wonder at how miraculous this stuff is. No matter what you asked for, I want to explain my promise to you that God will either meet that or exceed it. If, if God doesn't say yes to what you requested, it's only because he wants to give you, you're not asking big enough. He wants to give you something even better. Here's why that's true. Maybe some of you 
asked for physical healing, pain relief. We got, a, we got a bit of that going around these days. God has the power to grant that immediately. And, and we pray in that direction. And sometimes he does. But understand, if he answers that that way, that's very temporary. Because unless the Lord comes back, you're going to die in weakness, right? You're going to die in physical weakness because you're just too old to keep going, because some of your parts are giving out, or because you're a lot weaker than the truck that didn't look before it pulled out. But God promised this morning that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are in Christ, so closely related that you're his child. When one of our precious little ones gets hurt, like legit hurt, and they cry out in pain, what does even an average parent do immediately? He or she will run and scoop them up, hold them, even though we don't have the power to make the pain stop, we will hold them till it does. True? If your earthly parents would do that, how much better will your heavenly father do that? He hears you when you cry out in pain. And he will hold you till the hurt stops. And if you are in Christ Jesus, you can guarantee it will permanently eternally now I want to pray with you for your healing and I do and I want it to stop today but I also know that's temporary and if God says no today it's not because he can't it's because if you're in Christ he has got something better now, maybe you asked for, for a different kind of healing. Maybe you want some sort of relational healing. You want healed from the isolation you feel, the lack of intimacy that plagues you. Maybe you're praying for that certain special someone that you could meet or the one that you've already met to treat you like a certain special someone that you're longing to be treated like. God sent you a certain special someone. <laughs> right? He died in your place, and he does offer you intimacy like with God. Now, we... We may not like fully grasp that sometimes the best we can do on this earth is just try to understand that's actually true. But it's true. Like it's true. God gives access to himself through faith. And in our limited capacity, we can grow in an intimate relationship with the one 
who is greater than all of our hurts, all of our loneliness, all of our weaknesses. Maybe you would ask for some sort of self-improvement. That might be financial. Maybe you just want to be a better version of yourself. One way God promised, God answered that today through Paul is by reminding you that you're clothed in Jesus Christ. So in God's eyes, I know this sounds too hard to believe, but when God looks at you and sees you clothed in Jesus Christ, you can't improve upon the you you are already in Christ. If you are in Christ, God is not waiting to love a better version of you. Now, in the meantime, what we really need to try to learn to do is press into who we actually are in Christ instead of spending so much time trying to be this version of myself I wish I was. Those can, from the outside, look like the same thing, but they're not. I need to press into what is true about me in Christ. Clothe myself, let that control my behaviors from the inside out, And maybe six months or six years from now, I'll look backward and see some of the improvement I tried my whole life to get the other way. Maybe you had asked for acceptance. Maybe you had asked for inclusion. Maybe you had asked to measure up to fit in. God doesn't have favorite kids. If you are in Christ, you are accepted. And I know we may not always feel like that is true. Right? So one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, uh, Jesus' best friend John wrote it, John, 1 John 3, 20, where he says this, God is greater than our hearts. The things I have said about you this morning sometimes we don't believe that's even true. We don't feel like that's true. Well, then you and God disagree about something. When you and God disagree, who's right? Thank you. <laughs> God is greater than your, even your heart. When you feel, if you are in Christ, when you feel like God can't love you today, you're wrong. There might be somewhere you wore your Jesus clothes you shouldn't have gone. There may be consequences for that. But God will not take you back to the orphanage. God's not on the catch and release thing. Your position in Christ is not secured by your abilities. Your position in Christ is is secured by his ability to hang on to you, which is complete. So if you are in Christ Jesus, if you believe in Christ Jesus, I want you to think about identifying and coming out of the closet. And then I want to challenge you to press into these truths about yourself. You are a child of God. Believe Paul. Don't believe me. You have been clothed with Jesus Christ. Believe Paul. Don't believe me. 
no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what you have, that is true about you because that's what faith in Christ does. Let's pray. Our Father, um, I don't know what we uh, thought about or prayed about when we were talking about you doing miracles, but God, I, I pray you would do miraculous things for us that we would understand and see and realize in this life, in this week, that some of the pain, the hurt, the disease, the isolation, you would just remove. You can do that. But God, we also know that you're a good father. You will hold us till the hurt stops. You have clothed us in Christ. You have made us your sons and daughters. And you don't play favorites. Help us to press into who we are in Christ. What we have been clothed in. And that that might be begin to change who we are on the outside because of who we identify with. We love you, Lord. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand up with us and let's finish our time together.